Good morning, family. Good to see you guys this morning. We've come here to worship Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. He's our friend. He's the lover of our soul. And he is our king. And we are his glad servants. And we're here to worship his name. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Open them up to Colossians. We're in chapter 2 this morning, and our scripture reading will be from chapter 2, verses 6 through 17. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiveness in all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There are a shadow, these are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, we, we love you. We worship you today. We adore you today. And uh, Lord, honestly, I'm just overwhelmed at this moment, actually, at the beginning of this holy week and what you have done for us uh, through your cross and through your resurrection and ascension. It's, it's almost too much to take in. But Jesus, we've come here today because uh, some of us, we've, we've just been harassed this week. We've been harassed by Satan. Uh, some of us, God, we've, we've wounded ourselves through following other gods. We've been taken captive by their fake promises. And so we've come here, Jesus, not because we're okay, but because we're not okay. And we need you, Jesus. We need you to speak a word of life into us to set us right to make us whole, to change us. And so I would ask God now that you would do that through your word. You would do a supernatural work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may remember uh, July 30th of last year, July 30th, 2016, there was a news story that broke. It declared that uh, the U.S. airbase in Turkey was being overrun by terrorists. You remember this? There was a terrifying headline. It was in all caps, scary. Uh, There was a blurry photo. 
There was a storyline that followed under that really scary headline, and the story was pushed out both on Twitter and Facebook simultaneously, interestingly enough, on those social media networks. They were spread by users of those networks organically and then picked up by mainstream media, which helped to verify the veracity of that story. This caused the story to spread even faster to more people. More people were talking about it. The only problem was that the story never actually happened. The event never actually took place, the story we were all talking about last year. The truth was, here's the actual facts. There was a small protest outside the gate of the airfield, and second fact, security was hiding amid the arrival of the Joint Chief. And those two things did not necessarily correlate with one another. They just happened to be facts. No riot. There were no terrorists. No problem for the U.S. The story was intended to incite fear in America as well as outrage. And that's exactly what it did. Guys, we were duped. We were bamboozled. We retweeted and shared and liked and helped spread other fake stories just like this because they were current, they tapped an emotion in us, they had a doctored photo, and they sounded plausible. It sounded like it could be true. Guys, we were taken captive. Self-proclaimed intelligent people. Skeptical people, rational, folks that don't make decisions based on their emotions. I just follow facts. We can tell the difference between fact and fiction. Yes, we were taken captive by a plausible story. Now, if many of us have been duped by well-crafted fake news stories over the last two years, it's plausible to believe that we are just as in danger of being taken captive by fake philosophies. I mean, ways of thinking, ways of valuing things in life that look fulfilling, they look like they satisfy what will our soul longs for, but they lead to nothing of substance in the end. And we are in danger of that, every one of us in this room. You see, back in the city of Colossae, there was a philosophy that, that said that the most basic physical elements of life Earth, water, fire, wind. The most basic elements of all of life were controlled by spiritual forces like gods, spirits, angels. They were what was actually either in or behind all the things of life. And they were moving it around and causing things to grow or not grow, happen or not happen. And so the thinking went that you had to obey certain rules. And they were very strict rules, by the way very specific and strict rules to appease the elemental spirits of the earth or these angels or these gods that were running everything. You make them happy. And so when you obeyed the rules, you got blessings in your life. And when you disobeyed the rules, or or maybe you forgot a rule in your ignorance, you just didn't know about one because every god had their own rule. Then you got curses in your life and things did not go well with you. I know what you're thinking. We in this room, we're too modern for that, right? We're too intelligent. We're too churched up to ever be taken captive by that kind of thinking, right? I mean, that's for people long ago that didn't know what we know now. 
We would never fall for that kind of thinking, right? Not so fast. Not so fast. We are in danger of this. We're in danger of formally believing in Jesus, but functionally trusting in something else to give us spiritual fullness in our day-to-day life, our day-to-day dealings. Formally, we believe the philosophy, the belief, Jesus is my satisfaction. Jesus is all I need. Formally on Sunday, we say that, we sing that, we believe that formally. But functionally, I believe that just a little bit more money is going to satisfy me. Formally, I believe Jesus is the Lord and all the fullness that I need is found in him. But functionally, I believe that following my heart will satisfy me. That's a real popular philosophy today, isn't it? See, following my heart day to day, that's what's really going to bring me fullness. Functionally, I believe that I cannot be a fully satisfied person if I'm not in a romantic relationship with someone. I'm not really living. Functionally, I believe that if I had a little more control over things in my life or people in my life, then I'll be a satisfied, fully flourishing person. See, we are actually in danger of those elemental things of life becoming gods to us. They are good things but they can become God things to us. And we burn energy trying to keep those gods happy so that they'll bless us. But the truth is that they're hollow gods, guys. Family, they can't satisfy. They can't even do what they promise that they'll do. They're fake news stories with no real substance. That's what they are. They got a great flashy headline. No substance. See, what we're learning in Colossians today is the best way to keep yourself from being taken captive from hollow, inferior gods is to see that Jesus is the only God with real substance. We need to see that Jesus is the only God with real substance. There's a thickness, there's a tangibleness, there's a robustness to Jesus Christ that is not in nothing else in this world. And so let's, we're going to talk about the substance of Christ today, all right? Christ broke the power of sin in us. Christ broke the power of sin in us. Let's go to the text, verse 11 and 12. Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Circumcision was a sign of the promise that God had with his people. All right, so it was kind of like wearing a wedding ring on your finger. It signifies that you are in this exclusive, bonded, unique relationship with someone else. You're exclusively married to someone for the rest of your life, someone that you have made a solemn vow to. So it's a unique relationship. And when you're in that kind of exclusive relationship, you act in a certain way, do you not? You, You treat that spouse differently than you treat other people, right? And they treat you the same way. There's different expectations. You act in a certain way to uphold that unique covenant relationship. 
So circumcision was a sign that people had on their body. They were wearing this on their body. It was basically saying, I'm in a solemn covenant relationship with God. May we both be cursed, either God or I, if we do not uphold this covenant relationship, if we do not keep this promise. The penalty for not keeping that promise was really serious. It was severe. It ultimately was death which was signified by cutting off a piece of your flesh that died when you removed it from your body. You cut it off. You, it, it was put away from you. That was a small sign of this relationship, the reality. So here's the problem. We are great at making vows and promises, but we don't have the power to keep them perfectly, do we? Amen? Oh, just me? Was you? Come on. I'm great at being a promise maker. <laughs> right, Vanessa? I, I'm not a great promise keeper, though. And that's how I know you're like that, because I'm just like you. We break promises to God. How do you know you break promises to God? Because you break promises to your family, and they're not God. <laughs> break promises to your friends. Break promises to our kids, to our parents. Break promises to ourselves. I'm not going to eat that last piece of cake. <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. You know what I could use? Little slice of cake. I just broke that promise. We break promises all the time. And when we break our vows, we deserve a penalty. We deserve to be cut off. And guess what? We know this. We know this intuitively inside. We do. So here's what we do to try to prevent that promise breaking from happening. We set up rules to try to keep that sinful impulse from blowing up our life or blowing up our marriage or blowing up our relationships. We're going to set up all these really strict rules, and that's going to prevent that impulse from getting out. I'll drink this, but I won't drink that. I'll eat this, but I won't eat that. I'll watch these movies, not those movies. I'll, I'll socialize with these people and spend time getting to know these people, but I won't talk with these people over here. I'll start this spiritual practice. I'll start doing this spiritual ritual. That's going to help me. You see, the problem is not us having external guardrails in our life. We actually should have that. They do serve a purpose. They prevent us from going off the rails. The problem, though, is thinking that obeying those guardrails actually has the power to stop the impulse that's inside of us. That wants to go past them. They don't have the power to do that. Sin is more powerful than any number of rules or guardrails that we can pile on top of ourselves, which is why we're always going, blowing past those guardrails. What we need is something to break the power of that destructive impulse that lives inside of us, that dwells inside of us. The good news for us, brothers and sisters, is that Christ has broken the power of sin, that impulse to break covenant with God and blow up our life. He's broken that power in us. See, in Colossians, what Paul is doing is he's reminding us that the that circumcision that God gave from the very beginning when God gave it, it was from the very beginning a sign that always pointed to a deeper inward solution to our sin impulse. 
It's not a cutting something out of our body, but cutting something out of the core of our being, out of our heart. That's always what it was symbolizing. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. God's speaking through Moses. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise. And what will he circumcise? Your heart. God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may, what? Live. That you will live in covenant with him. Paul says in Colossians what God through Moses said back in Deuteronomy. This circumcision was not done by human hands, but by an act of God through Christ. And Paul uses the practice of baptism to give us a similar picture of the same thing. Through baptism, we identify with the fact that the power of sin in our life was buried with Christ. When Christ was buried. Christ's death on the cross was the circumcision not made by human hands. Christ cut, Christ severed the power of sin in our life by being cut off from God the Father. He was cut off. He was put away from God. He physically took sin on his body so its power could really be killed and really buried. Isn't that good news? It's not just some thought that we have. Not just some philosophy, because, because this is a real deal. How do we know the power of sin is truly, really broken in us? Because that sounds like good news. But I've been duped by fake news. So how do I know this is good news, not fake news? How do we know this isn't just some mere religious belief? Because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a nice spiritual analogy to help us have a better perspective on life and, and who I am. That's how you know. It was a physical and visible, and get this, historical event. It was an event, not hollow, all substance. Amen? All substance. See, Christ has fullness in him because he's full of substance. Christ made us alive when we were dead. He made us alive when we were dead. Check out verse 13, guys. This is great. When you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So what does that mean to be dead in your trespasses? Well, just as to trespass today means to go where you're not supposed to go, where you're not allowed to go, to trespass spiritually means to violate God's will. It means to violate the boundaries that God has set in your life as a human. That's what it means to trespass. This is what it is for to be, have a good life as a human. This is how you work. This is how you love. This is how you live. This is how you think. So stay in these boundaries. Stay in these commands that I give you. And there's life there. Genesis tells the story of how Adam and Eve violated God's commands. They violated the boundaries that he had set for their life. They wanted to be their own boss. But once they did that, see, in the beginning, it's all, God says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, and this is not good. 
And Adam and Eve says, you know what? I don't want you saying what's good and not good. I'm going to say what's good and not good for me. That's crossing the boundary. That's trespassing over to places that they don't need to go and should not go. They wanted to be their own boss, but once they did that, they cro- once they crossed that line, they cut themselves off from the true substance of life. And ever since then, we have followed in our mother and father's footsteps, Adam and Eve's footsteps. We say, you know what? I'll decide what brings me life. I'll do it. I'll cross the good boundaries that God has set for me, and I'm going to find life on my own. Thank you very much. And so what we've done is we've chased after other things that give us meaning and we think will give us purpose and we think will fill us up, fill up the emptiness that is in us. We chase after respect. I'm going to make my dad respect me. Just you watch. I'm going to make my kids love me. I'm going to be the best mom in the neighborhood. We chase after these things like that. Security of having a little bit more money. Privacy. It's my privacy. Get your nose out of my life. I don't want you knowing me. We chase after these things, guys. They think we're going to give us a full life, a safe life, a happy life. But those things were just carrots on a string, and they're just leading us into more and more captivity more and more imprisonment. We fooled ourselves into thinking that we're getting closer and closer to fullness, but the reality is that those things were leading us further and further away with God with every trespassing step. The only source of life, and we're getting further away from it. We were the walking dead. We're going through life, but we're really dead. That's what makes Jesus so wonderful. He made us alive while we were dead. While we were dead in our trespasses. While we were killing ourselves by violating his rules, by breaking his boundaries, Jesus gave us life. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus did not wait for us to earn a new life. Jesus didn't dangle a carrot in front of us and say, hey, guess what? You can have life. If you can reach it, you can have it. That's what all the other gods say to us, right? If you can reach it, you can have it. No. He said you can't possibly reach true life. So I'll give it to you. I'll give you my life. So here, take my life and live. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy. I'm so glad he's not just rich in money. He's rich in mercy. I need mercy from God. Don't you more than I need money. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All other things that promise a full life say, Your life for mine. Your life for mine. Jesus is the only God that says, My life for yours. That's a God of substance, not just empty words. He's a God of substance because Christ paid the debt that we owed. He paid a debt that we owed. 
to verses 14 through 15. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he nailed, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Not only did Jesus cut the power of sin and give us new life, but he paid a debt that we owed. And now we live a life that is debt-free to our Creator. We're glad to live for our Creator because he paid this debt for us. Paul talks about this. He says it's a record of debt that stood against us. It brings up this image of an IOU that every human is signed. IOU. And I'll pay you back later, right? And so the question is, is this, is this record of debt, is this God's law, or is this, is this our conscience that we have not fully you know, satisfied? And I, I think it could be both. I think it could be both based on Romans chapter 2. Check this out. Paul talks about this in Romans 2, verse 14 through 15. He says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Even their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. Oh, I did wrong. Yeah, which had a bad day. No, I did wrong. Well, the kids got you upset. That's wrestling with your conscience inside. Don't you do that? We do. Every one of us has a sense of what is good. Right? We all have this sense. There is a standard. This is right. This is wrong. We all know that inside of ourselves. And we all have a sense that we have not lived up to that. I've not made it. I've not lived up to what was right today. I've not lived up what was good, that good life. Whether it's being a good father, or a good daughter, or a good employee, or a good soldier, or a good Christian. Inside of us, a rec- there is a record that shows how we have fallen short. It is recorded. It accuses us. In fact, It condemns us, does it not? Do not your thoughts condemn you? That's death. That's death. It's that voice inside of us that points out all the mistakes that we manage to do. And it points out all the good things we manage to forget to do. We didn't quite do. And he says it has this has this legal demands. That means that we can't shake the authority that this record has. We can't just brush it off. We can't shake it off. It doesn't matter what Taylor Swift says. Shake it off. You can't shake it off. We know that because we've tried. It's always there accusing us when we wake up each morning and it will not be silenced even by a thousand moral good deeds and a thousand pure thoughts. It won't satisfy it. Every time we do something good, our debt, that record of debt is that voice inside that says, yeah, but you know what? You could have done a little bit better. You could have done a little bit better, son. You could have tried a little harder if you would have really applied yourself. You could have done a little more. And we go, gosh, that's right. 
See, the good news of Jesus is that that record of debt that condemns us was nailed to Christ on the cross. And the condemnation died when Christ died. Amen? Christ has fully, totally, get this, and finally destroyed the condemnation that we deserved for our failures. It's gone. It's not just satisfied, but it's been torn up. The note's been torn up. How did this happen? Through Christ being punished in our place. Christ embraced our failures to meet God's perfect standard as his own. As his own. He took it as if it was his own. He accepted the punishment for that so that you and I will not experience it. We will never experience that. Isn't that a good God? What a Savior. What a loving Savior. As we're captivated by Jesus, and we're captivated by Jesus because he broke the power of sin over us. He made us alive when we were dead, and he paid a debt that we owed. And he said, it's done. Jesus is the one God that has true substance. And he's the only God that has true substance. Now, I know for some of you, that may be a bit of a stretch for you to grasp hold of today. I get that. This news is so good. You're like, can I believe that? That's why it takes faith. So I understand that. I know that it doesn't always feel like we've been freed from the power of sin. It can be a struggle to walk by faith through anxiety, amen? Or anger or lustfulness, or our constant desire for just a little bit more. It's a battle. It's a struggle at times. Those habits have carved a rut in your life, and you still fall into it from time to time. And I know because I do. Paul gives us one last picture in this passage that he wants to put before our eyes to help us see the all-supreme, all-surpassing authority and power of Jesus Christ. It's right here in verse 15. And he, that's Christ, Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Back in Paul's day, after a battle, nations uh, held military parades that publicly displayed a general's power and their conquered enemy's weakness. And they would humiliate the, the enemy. You are weak, and I am strong, because I have vanquished you. And everyone in this town and everyone in the capital is going to see it, because you will not be able to say otherwise. I will make sure that you will not be able to say otherwise. There will be many witnesses to this. Paul shares this image of Christ as the victorious general. And he's marching his captives behind him through the city for everyone to see. Not just people, but principalities and invisible spirits that cannot see. All of the cosmos is going to see this. This is the cosmic Christ, remember? Through his public death and his public resurrection, Christ has made all the false gods and evil spirits of this world his personal prisoners. They're all bound with chains. They're exposed as weak. They've been exposed as powerless. They may still be active, yes, indeed, but they are no longer in charge. 
They have no authority. They have no real power in your life or my life if we are in Christ. Because in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Amen? That's what we read this morning. And so if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then that is yours. That authority of Christ dwells in you and me. When Christ rose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, when he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, the throne of God, he stripped Satan. He stripped Satan in death of all their power. Isn't that interesting? Just as the circumcision was that stripping off, right? Just as the circumcision of Christ was on the cross, stripping off his garments, exposed naked in front of his mom and his followers, exposed, stripped of that body that he had through a brutal death. He turns around and strips all of them of their authority and power through his resurrection. We're going to talk more about that next week on Easter Sunday. But the point is this. Christ has authority over all rulers and forces as believers, and we share in Christ's authority. Sam Storms, the president-elect of the Evangelical Theological Society, said this about this very analogy that Paul uses. He says that we are to rest assured and rejoice in the promise that our spiritual enemies were as thoroughly defeated and stripped of their dignity and power as were those physical enemies who unsuccessfully opposed and eventually were conquered by a Roman general and his army. That's what Paul's telling us here. Guys, these are not mere dreams that someone dreamed up. These are not just ideologies and philosophies to live by that sound good but have no true substance. The goodness of Jesus is a reality based on historical facts and a historical event. You can go and check it out. Jesus is a God full of substance. And that's why you and I will find fullness in Christ. We do not need to look anywhere else for fullness of life, but in Christ alone, because it is there and is real. Let's pray. Now, God, we thank you. Thank you for your awesome power that you put on display in Jesus Christ. You flexed your muscles at the cross and at that empty tomb. And that angel sat on that stone that was rolled away. All authority, Lord. And those soldiers fell down as dead men. You are alive, Jesus. Not even death itself can hold us down. So, Jesus, I just pray that you would work that into our hearts today. And everything that we've made into a God in our life, every person that we've made into a God, every idea that we've made into a God that has captivated our thoughts, it's captivated our imagination and our desire and our money and our energy and our thinking, I pray that you would destroy it today. You'd knock it down. You'd set us free and that we would be captives of Christ today. We would be held captive by how great and awesome and loving you are. Would you do that in each and every heart today, starting with mine. And Lord, would you cause us 
to be so moved by this good news, this reality that we would share that with our neighbors, with our coworkers, our family and friends who are captives and you want to set them free. We pray that you would do all these supernatural things in us, through us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.